back to another episode of In Enemy Territory. We got a great one for you today. Today, November 2nd. First of all, my little bro's birthday, Simcha. Happy birthday. Let's talk about what went down on this day. 1978, Wayne Gretzky gets sold to the Edmonton Oilers of the World Hockey Association, also known as the WHA. He would go on to win Rookie of the Year of the WHA. Following that year, the WHA would merge with the NHL and the Edmonton Oilers would become an NHL franchise where Wayne Gretzky would wreak havoc for the rest of his career. Being that the Oilers were not part of the NHL during his rookie campaign, that he scored 100 points, of all the awards Wayne Gretzky ever took home, he never, just due to a technicality, of not being in the actual NHL, he never won Rookie of the Year. What brought on Wayne getting sold to the Oilers from the Indianapolis Racers? Basically, in short, Indianapolis Racers owner Nelson Scalbania was in debt, and he saw a quick way to make a million bucks by dishing Wayne Gretzky, the biggest hyped prospect in, in the sport, in the whole country, in the whole continent. His hockey team was in debt. He was trying to cut his losses. He knew he had a great chip to deal with Wayne Gretzky, 17-year-old kid. So he went up, went ahead and sold him and a couple of his teammates to the Oilers in exchange for about $850,000 in cash. In an article I was reading in the Edmonton Journal back from 1978 when this went down, they compared Scalbania, the money-hungry owner. He wasn't really putting the team first. He was putting himself in his wallet first. And basically, this journal compared him to a guy by the name of Charlie Finley, who was the owner of the Oakland Athletics back a few years earlier in the 1970s. Um, and still at this point, he was the owner of the Athletics, but... Finley was most notorious for being in the business of owning a sports team to profit off of them. And now, obviously, every owner is in the sport for the money. You know, they're making the billion a year, whatever it is. However, a lot of them, given that they've already got, you know, a jillion dollars, they're, they're trying, to, trying to put a winning team out there because that's that's really what they want to do. They want that. They want the championships. They want the glory. They've got the money. They want to be on top. And not every owner clearly is that way. And Charlie Finley was the poster boy for that kind of owner that we saw back in the 1970s. Ironically, Finley and his crew put together a phenomenal Oakland Athletics roster, and they won their division five straight years. And they won three straight World Series from 1972 through 74 the next year 1975 they would come up short in the playoffs and following the 75 season he decided to start selling off his assets right and left including raleigh fingers and reggie jackson and eventual hall of famers he started selling off all these players as it turns out there was a bunch of moves that he even tried to make that the commissioner of the league at the time actually had to step in and veto these trades due to a conflict of what's best what's in the best interest of the game 
And Finley actually hired a lawyer, and they tried to sue the commissioner and the Major League Baseball Association. Um, they tried to counter sue. They tried to sue the MLB basically for interfering with these moves, and he lost, and the the vetoes were upheld, and the commissioner had to veto more on more than one occasion. Just ridiculous attempts at Finley holding a straight up fire sale just uh, just because he's trying to get that money and just you know his mood of the day and still even when he eventually would have he went on to have to sell the team because his wife left him and he had to sell the team in order to pay her off and still somehow the athletics managed to have a great farm system going all these years. Finley was part of scouting Ricky Henderson and Tony LaRussa. LaRussa would eventually become the manager of the team and they would win the World Series in 1989. And the reason why I'm spending so much time talking about the athletics right now, which you're probably wondering how I got there from Wayne Gretzky, um, on November 2nd, 1988 the athletics would actually be awarded their third straight rookie of the year 86 they got jose canseco uh he was a future mvp another memorable thing about canseco other than him smashing home runs right and left was the book he wrote basically calling out everyone in the league who was using steroids and one of my favorite jose canseco memories is the time that he he misplayed a fly ball and it bounced off his head and right over the right over the wall, <laughs> which would be considered a home run, and that that's embarrassing. I hope you've seen that video because classics. Um, that was the 1986 rookie of the year, Jose Canseco. 1987, Mark McGuire. He was a home run monster. He has the record for the most home runs in a four-year stretch, 96 to 1999. He had 254 homers in four years. A fun stat I found about Mark McGuire is he actually once, in back-to-back nights, hit home runs in the 16th inning. They were the away team. It wasn't a walk-off, but he hit a home run in the 16th inning of back-to-back games that would go on to be the game-winning runs. Um, back in 1988. And then in 1988, the third straight rookie of the year that the Athletics pulled in was Walt Weiss, the shortstop. Not really known for his batting, but great, great shortstop. They really just had such a solid 1970s, 1980s, and that was it. Ever since ever since they made those three straight World Series again, 88, uh, 1989, 90, they they haven't done anything. So I don't know where that went. But back in the day, regardless of the erratic Charlie Finley being the owner and all the cahoots and whatnot that was going on, benching players just out of his rage and micromanaging the team, um, the Athletics happened to put together, you know, four World Series titles, and they were really... A great franchise. So when I look at November second, I see I see Wayne Gretzky and his rookie campaign 
and the change of hands from his minor league team in Indianapolis getting dealt to the major league Edmonton Oilers. Basically a money grab for his owner. And I see the Athletics grabbing the third straight rookie of the year of a franchise that um, corruption kind of run rampant through the 70s and 80s and even the after effects of it. Some positive, some negative, but it's just cool to see a parallel going on over there. But let's talk about some of the more fun facts of the day. We had 1969. Man, that's a long time ago. But Gordie Howe was 41 years old at the time. He picked up his 19th career hat trick. Did it against the Penguins. He became the oldest player to score an NHL hat trick. What a shocker that Gordie Howe was the one to do that. 2002, Mark Messier plays his 1,616th career NHL game. And that put him in second place in the all-time games list. He passed Larry Murphy, and he would go on to finish his career with 1,756 games played. 11 short of Gordie Howe. And as it stands right now, the top games played in a career, Gordie is number one. Mark Messier is number two at 1756. Yager, 1733. He finished just 23 games short of Messier. Ron Francis was just two short of Yager at 1731. And active Patrick Marlowe, fifth place right now at 1723. And he sounds like he's he's down for one more year next year, which would put him, if he can play 82 games, or even if he could play 45 games of the 82-game season, Patrick Marlowe will be the all-time games played leader in the NHL. I know he's been around forever, and he's been healthy, and like he's been relatively, you know, a relevant guy even though he hasn't really won like any personal awards or hardware he hasn't won a cup he's been steadily reliable um but just still kind of shocking to see that he's really he's right up there fifth all time probably going to be number one when he hangs him up and pretty cool he's actually on the penguins right now which i i keep forgetting Anyway, 1972, the Philadelphia Phillies pitcher Steve Carlton wins the Cy Young Award. He had 27 wins, you know, which is amazing on its own. But those 27 wins came on a Phillies team that only had 57 wins the entire season. They had over 100 losses. And Steve Carlton got just about 50% of his team's wins, which blows my mind because, you know, a team will get 70, 80, 90 wins, whatever it is. Their top pitcher is going to have 20 to 23 wins at most. And it's the next starter is probably going to have 14 or 13. And the they probably have had eight or nine starters throughout the year and five or six of them were steadily in the lineup. And then they had a bunch of guys who just – plugged in once here, once there, once here. Relief pitchers getting wins. It's just the nature of the sport. But for Carlton to have so many decisions, especially with only 57 wins, that's unbelievable. No wonder he was unanimously selected for the Cy Young. I mean, that guy must have been ridiculous that year. Really cool. And that's it. Let's talk about some birthdays for today. I obviously mentioned... 
my little bro, Simha. This year he'll be 27. God. That's crazy. Anyway. Al Campanis. And I'm probably butchering how to pronounce his last name. but Al Campanis. First Greek player ever in, the, in Major League Baseball. Happy birthday. Orlando Cabrera. He's a shortstop. He was with the World Series champions Boston Red Sox back in 04. And fun stat, he was the last out in David Cohn's perfect game in 1999. Roddy White, happy birthday, longtime Falcons wide receiver. He posted several 1,000-yard seasons, and he holds most of his team records for the wide receiver position, but um, Julio Jones is definitely knocking on the door for a lot of those stats to smash those records. Sidney Ponson the third ever a Ruben player in MLB history. He really wasn't a big name, but growing up in, in Maryland and Ponson being one of the Orioles starters, we just talked about him a lot. And even though he was garbage, Sidney Ponson was a name we threw out there with regularity. And lastly, Unieski Betancourt, who no one listening will ever have heard of, but a, another kind of, funny family name that we would talk about because even though it was, you know, we knew about Sidney Ponson, for some reason we didn't really connect the dots that he had the same birthday as my brother, but we had this one card of Unieski Betancourt. I think it was a rookie card. He was a shortstop for the Mariners and we turned it over and boop, 11-2. We were always like, oh yeah, Unieski Betancourt, same birthday as Sam. So I have to give him a shout out on the 11-2 episode. Unieski, happy birthday. The last thing that I'm going to talk about that happened on today, November 2nd, 2016, you guessed it. The Chicago Cubs, after 108 years of longing and hoping and dreams crushed and heartbreak and misery, finally, finally, the Chicago Cubs deliver a World Series back to the city of Chicago. Well, the White Sox had won a few but to the Cubs, faithful, pretty sure there were no remaining fans who had witnessed them win it prior to 2016. And But no, November 2nd, they finally sealed the deal. Ironically, they played the Cleveland Indians, and they were down 3-1 in the series. Earlier that year, Cleveland... In, in basketball, Cleveland had a 3-1 deficit that they came back from to knock off the Golden State Warriors, and Cleveland got off the schneid for the entire city, hadn't won a championship in 52 years. And Cleveland fans seriously took a run at the Warriors fans over them blowing a 3-1 lead. What happens? Common World Series, the Indians have a comfortable 3-1 lead. Blow it. Chicago Cubs come all the way back. Game seven. Game seven. The Cubs are up six three. This is probably one of the most dramatic games I ever seen. They're up six three. Oraldis Chapman, one of the best closers in this era, and maybe even one of the best strikeout closers in history. He blows a three run lead in the eighth. Gives up a run. Gives up a two run homer to Rajay Davis. Very memorable homer. Indians tie it up. They go to extras, rain delay, and finally come back to play. The Cubs get a run around, take the 8-7 lead. They would hold on. 
world champions. Curse of the Billy Goat, dead. But the game actually kind of reminded me of the Ravens 49ers Super Bowl back in 2013, where the stadium they were playing in had a electrical problem. I think a bunch of the lights blew, and they had to delay the game. Teams went back into the locker room, and... They came back out, you know, any momentum that might have been going for, for one team or the other was completely neutralized, and the teams just came back out, finished it up. Ravens would go on to win the Super Bowl. And in this case, the Cubs won it. The truth is, in the past five, six years, there have been so many teams that have been, like, snapping either long championship droughts or, like, getting their first championship ever. Like in baseball, we had the Royals break a 30-some year drought, and the Astros and the Nationals just got their their first World Series ever just in the past three seasons. Um, and obviously, the Cubs. Hockey, we've just the, the previous two champions, although by the time we're listening to this, we might have a new Stanley Cup champ in the house. Um, but the past two Cup winners to this point have been the St. Louis Blues and the Washington Capitals, both of them first-time champions. Basketball, the Cavs just got their first back with uh, the aforementioned Cavaliers victory and the most previous, the most uh, recent one, the Toronto Raptors got their first. Um, and in football, we just had the Chiefs snap a 50-year drought and a couple years before that, the Eagles got their first. So it seems like in the past five years, teams have been coming back from the dead and getting it done. So I, what, what I want to talk about just for a minute before we go is just throwing out a couple predictions of who is going to get their next first championship in Major League Sports. A um, couple hot takes, but I actually think that in hockey, the Toronto Maple Leafs, they have not won a cup since 1967. They have some of the best young talent in hockey right now. They've got a hot goalie, great young and up-and-coming defensive core. They've got Austin Matthews, John Tavares, Mitch Marner. They've got a bunch of studs and swag. I think the Leafs are on to something. They've had a lot of misery lately, especially when it comes to running through Boston. But I think the Leafs may just do it sooner than later. Um, I'm going to say in baseball, and they've been very close recently, and I still think they've got a fantastic team. They just just signed Mookie Betts to a huge deal. You know who I'm talking about. The L.A. Dodgers, I think they've still got Kershaw. They've just got such a stud lineup, and I think the Dodgers are going to win a World Series. They haven't done it, and I should have looked it up, but they haven't won since, I think, the 70s. And a hot take, NFL, not who you would expect, because obviously we all think Patrick Mahomes is going to win the next seven Super Bowls, but Tennessee Titans... They're looking for some more magic after, after last year's playoffs where they... They did the unthinkable and knocked out Tom Brady and Lamar Jackson and just 
Ryan Tannehill looked like another level, and Derrick Henry is the best running back in the league, and they've got an amazing head coach, and they've got a sick defense, and they just... The Tennessee Titans are my pick for the next team across those three sports to get their first ever title. I really think the Titans are going to surprise a lot of teams this year if if football happens, which I think it will. Um, obviously, Mahomes is going to have they're going to have to go through Kansas City to do it. That's just how it's going to be. But watch out for Tennessee. They're and it's not like it's not like I'm the only one who who thinks that they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. Obviously, everyone thinks the Chiefs are the team to beat, which which is true. But it's hard it's hard to put together back to back wins or just you know they're all predicting five to seven championships for Mahomes, and that's great, and it probably will happen. But it's it's still it's very hard to keep these these championship teams together for long stretches and. We've really only seen Bill Belichick and Tom Brady do this kind of thing where they won dynastically over a couple of different decades. And there's always going to be a team that comes up and just they have it going for them within the locker room and just the, the charisma that they get their fans on board. I think Tennessee Titans, not, I'm not saying they're going to win it this year, but they are seriously close to having all the right pieces and just need a couple bounces to go their way. And I think they I think they've got a great shot. Anyway, that's all. That's the end of the episode. That's all I've got for you today. If you want you can follow the podcast, Facebook.com slash IET podcast, or you can follow me on Instagram at IET Podcast. Can't believe it's already the tenth episode. Wow. See you guys next time.